right. Good evening, everyone. I am so happy that you've made it safely. I'm excited about this study, actually, and uh, it's good to see some new faces. How many are here for the first time? Can I see your hand? You're here for the first time? Yes, yeah, quite a few of you. Quite a few of you. So we're grateful that you are here. Tomorrow night, if you come again tomorrow night, and those of you who've been here every night, if you've been here every night, I have a special gift for you tomorrow night. <laughs> All right, you got that? Yeah, so if, if you were here for the first time tonight and you come tomorrow night, I have a gift for you. All right? So you'll get two gifts if you've been here every night tomorrow night. And if you came tonight for the first time and you're here tomorrow night, you'll get one gift. But it's okay. It's still a good gift. It's going to be a great gift. We're going to be studying our Bibles, and I want to share with you something that actually I believe expressed to me and explained to me when I studied it. I finally settled in my mind what side I was going to be on. Because yeah, really, my friends, at the end of the day, everyone has a decision to make. Everyone has a choice to make. And there is only two sides. I, I, I don't care what denomination church you go to. You can remain in your denomination. I don't care about that. I want you to make sure that you're following Jesus. Is that okay? Because at the end of the day, there's only two sides. It's God's side and there's the, the enemy of our soul's side. And I want to follow Jesus. So before we begin tonight, I want to make sure that we begin with a word of prayer. Is that okay? Because I'm not wise enough or intelligent enough to communicate the realities of the gospel to you. So let's bow our heads. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your mercy. Every breath that we are taking right now, Every pulsation of the blood through our veins is because of your love for us. So we thank you. And Father, as we're about to open the Bible, as we're opening your word, Father, we are of our natural selves not able to understand it. So we ask for the gift of your Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood, Amen. Amen. Now, I want to share this review with you, because by day, I'm a teacher. By night, I'm a preacher, all right? <laughs> so let's do a review. Does anyone remember the first key that I gave you? Anybody remember the first key of understanding Bible prophecy? Friendship. Friendship. Now, that key, that friendship key is so powerful. Because it's that key that draws us closer to Jesus, and it's in that close relationship with Jesus that Jesus then, as a friend of ours and as he's a friend to us, he feels in his own bosom that he wants to share his secrets with us. And all Bible prophecy is, is an expression of God's love, an expression of God's plan for his children, especially in these last days. Does that make sense, everybody? So if we become the friend of God, then God says, I can trust you with my secrets. I can trust you in this fellowship. And I, and I told you the first night that God has a problem. What's God's problem, my friends? He doesn't have friends. He doesn't have many friends. And we found out that some in the room don't have any friends, but we cured that. 
All right, that's my, she's my friend now. She said she ain't had no friends. I said, my sister, we are friends from now going forward. We are in this fellowship together, friends. Now, it's important that this friendship is sincere and is real. Anybody have any backstabbers? Yes, I, I've been backstabbed under the fifth rib. Hmm? By church people, not, 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 the, not enemies. You, you, you know you can't be backstabbed by people that are not your friends. You can only be backstabbed by people that say, I am your friend, that they come into fellowship with you. So God has a problem. He doesn't have many friends, but there are two additional keys here. Last night, I hinted at the covenant key, and I want to just share with you again. Go to Psalms, Psalms 24. Psalms 24. I might be doing the wrong one. 25, Psalms 25 and verse number 14. Psalms 25 and verse number 14. So this is the second key. I gave it to you last night. I hinted at it, but we're going to expand on that key tonight along with the third key, which is righteousness. So Psalms 25 and beginning at verse 14, the Bible says, the secret of the Lord is with them that, what's it say, my friends? Fear him. Them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Now, I'm going to actually show you a picture of where this covenant is actually kept, and I'm going to share, share with you as we go into our presentation tonight. So keep that one in mind. So friendship is key number one. The covenant relationship is key number two. And tonight we're going to go deeply into this idea of righteousness, which is key number three. Now I'm going to show you a picture. Now this picture is a beautiful picture. Now this right here, who do you think that uh, this handsome young man is right here? That's not me. Oh, you thought it was me. That's not me. That's my daddy. Yeah, that's my daddy, and that's my, that's my grandma right there. That's Grandma Kathy, and that's my daddy. He looks a handsome young man. Isn't he handsome? You better have said yes. <laughs> He's a handsome young man. And there, this is my father. He's on his way to the Navy, served the country for a time as a young man. Now, he was a searcher. You know, he didn't grow up in church. In fact, do you know the first book that he ever read? He couldn't read. The first book that my father ever read was a Bible. Did you know that? He was able to pronounce the words in a Bible before he could read Jane and Sue ran up the hill. You know, like before that, the Bible was the first thing that he could read. And God showed him several things as a child, but he didn't know God. But God was trying to reach out to him. That's how God does. He's always searching and reaching after his children. Then he got married. That's my mama. Her, my dad's name is Victor. My mama's name is Deborah. And you see everybody's happy right here, right? <laughs> I, I like that picture. And then they, out, out, out of all this love, there was born this little munchkin. <laughs> what, do you think, what do you think that young man is saying right there? That's me, but what am I saying? Feed me. <laughs> Why are you teasing me right now? Give me that food, mama. Now, of course, I, I've been tamed over time. I praise the Lord. And then I had two other siblings. These are my sisters. This is Angela and Alicia. Don't we all look happy? Yes. 
And my friends, uh, the reality is we were very happy. In fact, we were happy for a long time, and then I became a teenager. Around that time frame, I became a teenager. And I started to see my parents not as the perfection that I thought they were. And then I began to see the chinks in the armor. I see, began to see the fractures in their relationship. Now, mind you, when we would go to church, literally, we would sit, father would sit at the, the top row, mom would sit second, I would sit third, my, my middle sister, and then my, we would sit exactly in order. If you had seen us, you would think, man, what a perfect family. In fact, it is interesting that church people have the greatest pretense in all the world. It's a great facade that we have that when we come to church, everything looks copacetic, everything's cool, but not understanding there's a real problem in the home. So my parents were fighting quite often. They were fighting verbally, not physically, verbally. It got to a point where one day I was off at college, freshman year in college, and my sisters give me a call. Andre, mom has chased dad out the house. Now, you have to understand, my mom's extremely chill. She doesn't chase anybody. Mom has chased dad out the house. I said, what are you talking about? I said, get mom on the phone. So my little sister goes, somehow gets my mom to come to the phone. My mom comes to the phone. I said, mom, what's going on? She said, your dad did this. Your dad did this. Your dad did this. Your dad did this. Gave a whole list of all the things that my father had done. I said, nah. I was like, mama, well, mom, did you, did you do anything? I asked, Mom, did you do anything? She thought for a moment. She was more in her right mind. She said, well, maybe. I said, okay, Mom, look, look let, let's pray. So I prayed with my mom. Now, mind you, at that point, I wasn't that religious. I was just becoming aware of God. I mean, really for myself, because when you go to church with your parents, it's kind of you and your parents' religion. You know, it's not my religion. It's my parents' religion. I'm, I'm going with them because they're kind of making me. They don't say it, but it's kind of like, you better, because <laughs> if you don't, you know. So I'm going, and then I get her on the phone. I talk to her for half a second, and then I say, well, where's my dad? So I call. I'm calling and calling. I can't find my dad anywhere. He's, come, he's, he's ghost. So I, I, I finally figure out where he is. He's at my grandma's house. So I get my dad on the phone. Now, you have to understand, my dad has two master's degrees, Two bachelor's degrees, highly intelligent man. He's a, he even has a master's in divinity. I don't even know how you can get a master's in divinity. That doesn't make any sense. So he's a highly intelligent man. It's not like I can say anything to him that he doesn't know, but I, I get him on the phone. I said, Dad, what's going on? He begins to say, your mom did this, your mom did this, your mom did this, and your mom did this. I'm like, um, did you do anything? And he wasn't like my mom. He was like, look, your mom did this. And your mom did this, and your mom did this. And I'm st I'm, I literally, I, I kid you not, as I'm talking to my father, it felt like it was a dark hole that I was speaking to. Everything that I was saying was going into darkness. There was no penetration of light. There was nothing. It was just going. So I'm praying. I'm saying, okay, Father, what do I do? I, and I said, okay. I said, Daddy. I said, Daddy, if, it said, if God brought the family back together, would you allow God to bring the family back together? He said, only if God does it. I said, that's all I need. Thank you. I hung up the phone. Now, when I hung up the phone, you have to understand, I'm a 19-year-old man. And I cried myself to sleep that night. 
in a fetal position. I just cried because I didn't understand what was going on. My family, everything that I, the essence of what I was is being destroyed. My little heaven on earth is being just torn apart, and I'm crying myself to sleep. Next day is a church day. <laughs> oh, you know what you do with your church day. Church, this church day, you put the church clothes on. Make sure you smell good. <laughs> Go to church. This was a big church. It had about 2,000, 2,500 people in this church. And the pastor of the church had a special prayer that morning, and he calls people down for a special prayer. And I remember coming down. He didn't, nobody knew my problems. No, no, nobody knew my sorrows. But I remember the day clear and crystal. I come down on the right-hand side, and I get on my knees, and I start praying. And every emotion, every stressor, everything was present in that moment. And I'm praying. And as I'm praying, I say to the Father, Father, I say, you got to do one or two things for me because I feel like I'm dying. I said, you have to do one or two things. I said, A, you either have to bring my parents back together or B, you have to give me what the Bible says is peace that passes all understanding. Now, mind you, at this point, I still didn't really know God. And I'm on my knees, and I'm crying out to him like this, and I kid you not, my friends, I'm not making this up. I'm, I'm not, I'm literally on my knees, and there is this peace. It doesn't make any sense. It's completely illogical. Everything in my life has been turned upside down. Everything that I knew as stability is no longer stable. And at this moment in time, I have peace. While at a few seconds ago, I was crying like, a, like just no tomorrow. And it was in that moment, my friends, I said, wow. I said, wait, if I can receive this in this moment in time, that means God is real. And if God is real, I will serve him for the rest of my life, and I will preach him until he comes back again. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because there is no point in life, my friends, if there is no God. I'm going to tell you that right now. If you just want to live just to be and just live and just do what you do and be what you be, do it. And then your life is over. What's the purpose of living? But there is a God. He does care. It's not just a God. There is a loving God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Amen. And he's interested. And my friends, look, I, I share you that story because that was war in my family and in my home. And that in that moment, God in his supernatural presence came and gave me peace, which is available to everybody. He's not a respecter of persons. Everyone in this room has that, that availability, that offer is available. Do you want peace? He can give it to you. Does the devil have a grip in your life? He can break that chain. God is an amazing, loving God. But tonight, that war that I had on, uh, that hell that I had on earth actually began with a war in heaven. I want you to go to Revelation chapter 12. Now, you want to make sure you take notes. Revelation chapter 12, we're going to go rapidly, but slowly through the scriptures. Revelation chapter 12, we're going to begin reading at verse number 1. The Bible says, Revelation chapter 12, last book in the Bible, 
Verse 1, it says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of, what's it say, my friends? Twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another great wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. Now for a moment, I want you to understand that this imagery of a woman and a dragon is that, a symbol. A woman in Bible prophecy, woman in Bible prophecy equals, somebody said church. <laughs> That's funny. And whenever someone does that, I say, where in the Bible does it say that? All right, so let's, uh, let me work with you. And you're, let's work with you. Ephesians chapter 5. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Don't lose Revelation chapter 12. Remember, the Bible can explain itself. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're looking at verse number 23. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23. And we have it just say amen. All right, I got one amen. That means no one else is there. <laughs> oh, okay, there's more. Praise the Lord. Ephesians 5, verse 23, the Bible says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the, what's it say, my friends? Church. So husband equals Christ as woman equals church. Everybody see that? All right, let's go a little bit further. Watch what else it says, because I'm going to save someone's marriage tonight. It says, he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let their wives be to their own husbands. And what does it say, my friends? Everything. Now, some man reads that, and he's like, ha-ha, my wife will now serve me. Well, yeah, but no. There's actually something more important in the passage. It says, very carefully, watch this. Watch what verse 25 says. Husbands, love your wives. How, my friends? Even as Christ also loved the church and did what for it, my friends? Gave himself for it. Now, when you look at Christ giving himself for the church, you see him hanging on the cross. Don't you see him hanging there? You see self-sacrifice. Now, let me tell you a true story. My wife, she doesn't like me giving this detail out, so you are not allowed to tell her that I told you. Niaja, you can't tell her. <laughs> My wife used to be one of the top gang leaders in Chicago, and she fell in love with Jesus. And when she fell in love with Jesus, God converted her. She came to Jesus. She's changed. Amen? Amen. And then she married me. Come on now. <laughs> now, now, when she married me, Though she married me, can you imagine a, 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 a tough lady with a nice gentleman like myself? And she is sweet as pie, but let me tell you something. If I'm not on top of my game, huh? If I'm not humbled before God, my wife will step up and be like, Andre, what you doing, man? Because I'm not, I'm not owning my position. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So my wife is willing to follow me as long as I'm following Christ. But the moment I step outside of Christ, my wife can step up. She's good. Right. Are you following what I'm saying, my friends? 
So this, this text is not just saying, oh, the man is in charge and he must do everything. The, the wife must do everything the man says. No, she will do what he says as long as he's following Christ and is in that same spirit of submission. Are you following what I'm saying, my friends? So in the Bible, a woman has been equated with the church. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're looking at verse number 2. Now Paul is speaking again in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2. The Bible says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to who, my friends? To Christ. So Paul is talking to the church and he's saying to the church, look, you are, I am presenting you as a body, as a chaste virgin to Christ. So again, two passages. I have many more I can share with you. But in Bible prophecy, a woman is equivalent to a church. Now, what does the Bible prophecy say about the dragon? Go back to Revelation 12. Go back to Revelation 12. And I want you to read with me now in verse number two and three. It says, and she being with child cried to in birth and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now remember, whenever we're studying the Bible, I like to observe the text. So the text says that the dragon is standing before this woman, and the woman is pregnant with child. So to me, this is already an unfair battle. This is an unfair fight. The pregnant woman versus the dragon, dragon normally wins. Okay? But I also want you to notice that it's standing there not to devour the woman, but to devour the child. That's the key, man. That's key. People overlook this very simple point. It's ready to devour the child. Now, let's go a little bit further. Notice what the Bible says down in verse number 7. Down in verse number 7, and it says, And there was war in heaven. Remember now, war in heaven, hell on earth. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. Now watch carefully verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth how much of the world, my friends? The whole world. He was cast out into the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. So based on what we've read here, who is the dragon? The devil and Satan. Everybody follow so far? Do you see me making up anything? No. So a woman in the Bible prophecy is the church, and the dragon is the devil. And the devil is interested in destroying the child. I wonder what child this is that the devil is so afraid of that he wants to destroy. You, t you give me, just throw a guess out there. What do you think it is? That's right, my brother. Brother Zach is on it. Brother Zach is on it. The devil wants to destroy Jesus. Now, there's a reason why the devil wants to destroy Jesus. I'm going to read the text, and I want you to go with me. Genesis chapter 3. Go to Genesis chapter 3. 
Genesis chapter 3, and look at what the Bible says in verse number 15. Genesis 3, verse 15, the Bible says, Genesis 3, verse 15, the Bible says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It, the seed, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, the word bruise actually in the Hebrew means crush. So the seed that's going to be born, this is talking about Jesus, when this seed, Jesus is born, he's literally going to crush the head of Satan. In other words, the devil in this passage has has been given a warning. He's been given a death sentence. He's been given a clear word from God, you're going out, man. So the devil thinks the best time to get Jesus is when he's a baby. Are you following what I'm saying? In the, vo- in the most vulnerable position, as soon as the baby is born, I want to make sure that I wipe him out. But before I even get to that, my friends, I want to share something else with you. I want to share this with you. I want you to go to, with me to the book of, uh, actually before that, go back to Revelation chapter 12. Before I go there, go back to Revelation chapter 12. I want to make an observation. I want you to stay with me. Go back up to verse number 3. So we've identified a woman as the church. We've identified the dragon as the devil and Satan. And there are other imagery here, but I don't want to focus on all that at the moment. But I want to get to verse 4. Verse 4 says, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. Now hold your hand here in Revelation 12. Go to Revelation chapter 1, verse num- verse 20. Verse 20. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20. Notice what the Bible says. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20. So we're going to identify uh, stars at the moment. Revelation 1 verse 20, the Bible says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the, what's it say, my friends? Angels. So stars in this context represent angels. So the devil used his tail to take down one-third of the angels. Are you following the idea? All right, stay with me. Now, what is this tail? Go, to, go with me to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, and we're looking at verse number 15. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 15. Watch carefully, my friends. And I love how the Bible explains itself. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 15. Watch what it says. The ancient and honorable, he is the head. And the prophet that teaches lies, he is the, what's it say? Tail. So the dragon used lies to take down one-third of the angels. Are you following? The Bible is clear. We're like, we're not guessing about this. In fact, I want to go back to Revelation chapter 12 for a moment. Notice what's, what the Bible says. Back to Revelation 12. We're putting this puzzle together. Back to Revelation chapter 12. And again, I just want to highlight this. And there appeared another great wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, verse 3. Revelation 12, verse 3. Having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. His tail, this is lies, 
stars are angels, and it says it cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So we've identified the enemy as the devil. I want you to go with me now to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. I'm going to give you a key. We're going to reference a key right now. Revelation chapter, I mean, Isaiah chapter 14. And we're looking particularly at verse number 12, 13, and 14. So Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nation? So notice that in this verse, it's asking a question. The question is, how did you fall? Well, how, how is it that you have fallen from the position that you were in? So we're going to identify what position he was in. But it says, how did you fall? And then it says, how is it that you weaken the nations? Keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that point. We need to understand how he does that. Verse 13, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the size of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So I think you can get this very simply. The devil has an eye problem. <laughs> hmm? He says it five times in the text. I will ascend. I will exalt. I, I, I. The devil has an eye problem. I wonder how many of us have the same problem. Now, it's interesting because the marketers know how to do it with us. We have what we call iPhones. No, no, no. The vanity of the human heart reflects the, the emotional mindset of the devil himself. We, take in, we call it, we take in selfies. Now, I mean, we used to give the camera to somebody else. Will you please take a, a picture of us? Now we driving down the street. We can't, we, we can't even walk by without going like this. I mean, we, we're, be, we're being played, my friends. It is a disease. It's an eye problem. How did you weaken the nations? In fact, let's go a little bit further. Go with me to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, verse 12. Now, this passage is so rich. I wish I could spend more hours just going over every single point, but we only have so much time tonight. Ezekiel 28. Watch what the Bible says. We're going to begin reading at verse number 12. Watch what the Bible says. Ezekiel 28, verse 12. The Bible says, Son of man. Take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyre and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the psalm full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now, uh, uh, ostensibly, if you look at this text initially, you're going to think, Oh, he's talking about a king. But wait. Verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. 
every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy taverns and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed covering cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou was upon the holy mountain of God that has walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Now, my friends, right there, that passage itself tells you that this is no ordinary person. He was in the Garden of Eden. He's walking in the very presence of God. This is not talking about an ordinary person. This is talking about the devil. Lucifer was his name. Uh, oh, I have so much. Man, wait till we start talking about the United Nations. Wait till we start dealing with the global empires in this world. You're going to start to understand something. There are only two sides, my friends. And I'm going to give you a hint. By the time this is over, I'm going to show you a hint. I'm just going to, I'm going to touch it. I'm going to, I'm going to touch it and leave it alone. <laughs> but here, there is something that I want to make sure you pay attention to. It says that this being was an anointed covering cherub. The only way you understand that is by looking at this structure. This structure is the Old Testament sanctuary. In fact, let me give a little bit more detail. In fact, before I go this to this, this section right here, this is the outer court. Now, this simple structure, when my daughter was able to write, I started teaching her how to draw this structure. This structure tells you the whole plan that God has to save humanity. This simple structure right here, if you can understand this structure, you'll understand everything else. This is the key that unlocks the whole Bible. I'm telling you, my friends. So this is the outer court. Then you go inside the tent structure, and inside that tent structure, there are two apartments. One apartment is called the holy place, and it has, several, it has three different pieces of furniture in there. We're going to go into great detail in this later in our meetings. But they have the, the candlestick, the table of shoe bread, and the altar of incense. And then we have the most holy place, and this is where the Ark of the Covenant was. Now, you guys, back in the day, this is like old movies. You ever seen Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? You guys know that? All right, so they, they had Indiana Jones going to get the Ark, and it was all a bunch of craziness. But that Ark has two angels that look into the presence of God. This is the most holy place. The Shekinah, presence, the Shekinah glory of God is there. The angels, and, and mind you, I'm going to show you something very unique about this in a moment. These angels look directly into God's presence, and on that lid right there of the Ark of the Covenant, they call it the mercy seat. Oh, before I get to that. They call it the mercy seat. Now, that mercy seat is where God himself sits. This angel is an anointed covering cherub. That means Lucifer had direct access to God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But in order to understand the weight of what I'm saying, you have to go to Isaiah 6. Go to Isaiah 6. Go to Isaiah 6. Make sure you hold your finger in Ezekiel. Go to Isaiah 6. You won't understand the weight of this unless you go to Isaiah 6. Now, Isaiah 6 is a very powerful chapter, but watch what it says. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. 
Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did, what's it say, my friends? He flied. And then watch what it says in verse 3. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now, this, I want you to think these angels have six wings. Two wings cover the feet. Two wings he flies with. And two wings, what does he do? Covers his face. These angels are holy and they still cover their face. Do you understand what I'm just saying to you? These angels never sinned, never did anything wrong. And in the presence of God, these angels cover their face because God is so holy. Because God is so awesome. And the only thing they can say, it's not, it's, it's not like it's being forced from them, but because God is so beautiful and he is so awesome, the only words they can conjure is holy. I, I can only imagine Moses at the burning bush. And God is at the bush because he has to clothe himself at the bush because he can't just show all of his glory. But at the bush, God speaks and says, take your shoes off because this is holy. Huh? It's holy. Can you imagine the holy God coming into this room in his fullness? Because he's here, but a little bit. Because if he came in his majesty, do you understand, just like, Adam, just like Eve, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, when God comes into the garden, what do they do? They ran to hide. Not because God was angry, not because he had a lightning bolt to strike them, but because God was holy and they were no longer holy. They could not stand in his presence. And my friends, this is the reaction of all of us when we come into God's holiness. We want to hide, we want to run. We don't want to be exposed because God's holiness is pure and we're not. Somebody told me the other day, I'm a good person. <laughs> I have bad news for everyone. There are no good people. People are no good. Of their natural selves, our tendency is to do evil. And we seek to cover up our evil by doing good deeds, but not understanding that's just what Eve did. She says, oh, my light has gone. I will now go find some fig leaves. And I'll mind you, there's an element in fig leaves that actually produces light. Did you know that? Go do some scientific homework. Eve had those good eyes. She saw the fig leaves. She said, I can light myself back up. But not realizing there is nothing that we can do that will light ourselves back up. We need Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We need Jesus to work on us from the inside out. We are unclean in every single solitary way. I don't care what you eat, where you go, how many times you go to church. That doesn't make you clean. Only Jesus can make you clean. Only he can do it, my friends, and he's the one. When it happens, when cleanliness comes, you never say, oh, I've, I've made it. I've been in the church since 1955. And <laughs> Only he can do it. So here, Isaiah 6, 
these angels cover their faces. But these angels right here, do you see them cover their face? Do you see them covering their face? Are they covering their face? These are cherubims. These don't cover their face, my friends. These angels have special access. And Lucifer was an anointed covering cherub. Do you know what the idea of anointed means? That means he was full of the Holy Ghost. So this angel has a special privilege that even the angels in Isaiah 6 don't have. He looks directly into the presence of God. Now, mind you, think about this for a moment. I'm trying to illustrate it in a simple way. My wife and I are best friends. There's no better friend on planet Earth outside of God himself that is my best friend other than my wife. My wife is my best friend. Now, you don't really know her. You haven't even really met her. Some of you have. Some of you have not. But you, some of you like me right now a lot. Thank you so much. I appreciate your love. So you like me. And if I were to say anything derogatory in regards to my wife, you would have a tendency more so to believe me than her because you really never engage with her. You're, in, you're interacting with me. So if I were to say, you know, my wife, she can't cook, which would be a complete lie because she can throw down. But if I were to say to you, you know, she, she, you know, she really can't cook, in your mind you're like, well, Maybe she can't cook. He knows her better than I do. He spends more time with her than I do. Do you see this angel? He has access that other angels don't have. He gets to see what other angels don't see. He is the anointed covering cherub. And when he leaves from this position and he walks out from that position and begins to spread lies about the character of God, there are angels that says, well, he had access. He must have seen something. Are you hearing what I'm saying, my friends? So this is, this, is the, this is the Bible. This is the story. Now, there's something else I wanted to pay attention to. Go back with me to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. Watch this now. Go back with me to Ezekiel 28. I want to, to highlight this, verse 13, for a moment. It says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle and gold. The, ca- the workmanship of thy taverns and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. So if you look at a being like that, when I look at an angel, I'm not thinking in my mind the angel has these. This is the sardis, the topaz, the burl, the onyx. This angel was made out of this. Now can you imagine, again, Human artistry cannot really capture what this angel looked like, right? So at the end of the day, this anointed covering cherub has this as what makes up his body. He's standing in the glory and the presence of God. Can you imagine the beauty that comes from this angel? He's glorious. Of all the created beings, he is the most beautiful being ever created. Of all the beings that God could create without creating God himself, this being is the highest of them all. In fact, I want you to see something else in this chapter. Look what else it says. In verse, verse number 15, it says, Thou was perfect in all thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. That's an interesting word. Now watch how, watch what happens to him. It says, By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee which what my friends what does it say violence and thou hast sinned therefore i will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of god 
and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Please note verse 16. It says, by the multitude of thy merchandise. This is the merchandise. This is it. He's corrupted by his beauty. He's corrupted by his beauty. His brain has been corrupted by the, in fact, is there anything wrong with these things? Who made this? God. God made this. This is God did that. So this being, most beautiful being ever created, takes what God gave him and begins to worship the blessings of God over the God of the blessings. Y'all not hearing nothing I said. It didn't, it didn't say that he went and shot somebody. It didn't say that he went to kill anybody. It said that the blessing that God gave him corrupted his brain because now he takes his eyes off of his God and he puts it on what God gave him. I wonder, my friends, do we do that with our lives? Some of us have jobs. You make nice money. You roll nice. You have nice, you know, nice wheels. You know, you feel good about yourself. Is that God that you're giving glory to? Or are you worshiping the blessing that God gave? In fact, I, it was interesting. Uh, Sarah put the picture of Job up, and the devil said to God about Job, he only worships you because of the blessing that you gave him. Touch his blessing, and he will stop worshiping. Are you hear what I'm saying? So here, the corruption comes because he begins to worship the blessings of God over the God of the blessings. Verse 17 says, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Oh, there's so much here, but I need to focus. I want you to go back for a moment, and I want you to look at verse 16. It says, by the multitude of merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. So here, there's a, here's the devil, that little guy right there. Uh, he's in the most holy place as an anointed covering cherub. Watch what I did with, the, with this guy. He got kicked out. You like that graphic? <laughs> I'll do it again so you can keep it in your mind. He's in the most holy place. He got thrown out. No longer in that space. But as he's thrown out, he doesn't go about by himself. He takes one-third of the... Interesting. I have a song that I'm going to sing on another night, but not tonight. So he has a big eye problem. Big self problem. Let's do a little bit of math. Go to Daniel for a moment. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. And we're going to look at verse number 9. Let me look at my time. Oh. Daniel 7. And look at verse number 9. It says, I beheld to the thrones were cast down. And the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. So for what we do know is that this thousand 
thousands is, can be a figurative number. But let's just take it as mathematics, because it won't be anything less than what it says, right? So what's 10,000 times 10,000? All right, very good. Somebody did math real quick. That's good, brother. <laughs> 100 million. So 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. And what's 1,000 times 2,000? 2 million. So we're going to take 100 million plus 2 million. How much is that together? A minimum of 102 million. So what's two-thirds of 102 million? Now, the reason why I put 102 million here, because this is Daniel 7, verse 9. Now, Daniel 7, verse 9 happens in the future. Are you following? So if it happens in the future, that means that's what's left over. The one-third that were thrown out was a minimum of 51 million. Minimum. I'm just saying at minimum. I, I mean, it could be more. Just imagine now you have a, an enemy and they're invisible and you're trying to fight them. Can you do it? <laughs> Very difficult to fight an invisible uh, person. In fact, the Bible describes an angel that when this angel came, one angel came down from heaven and Jesus rose from the dead, one angel comes down and the whole earth shakes with one angel. One angel comes down when, uh, when the king Sennacherib is making fun of God, and one angel comes down and slays 185,000 soldiers. One angel. Y'all paying attention? One angel does that. So there's at least a minimum of 51 million that we got to deal with. But notice the other number. There's more with us that than be with them. Are you paying attention? So the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That means when I pray, I need to make sure I got spiritual soldiers on my side. Are you following what I'm saying? I, I don't, I'm not safe for a moment to walk outside and be like, yeah, I got this for today. No. These guys have been around for a long time, my friends, and they are, they are out to kill. They're out to make sure you are a slave to whatever sin you're in right now. But we have more on our side than that be with them. So they're cast out. And the Bible says, Jesus, Jesus said himself, I saw uh, Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Do you know how hard you got to get hit to be moving like lightning? Nobody got that. Uh, I'm going I'm to pass this. Uh, all these gems here, uh, the sardis, topaz, carbuncle, emerald, sapphire, diamond, the agate, the burl, the onyx, these are all on the breastplate of the high priest. And these, and these stones are the ones that were on Lucifer. They see the high position that he had. What else? I'm going to move on from here. I'm going to show you something else. So that's the breastplate of the high priest. He carries these stones on his chest. These stones actually represent the, nations, the nation of Israel, each one. All that's symbolic. Again, I'm not going into great detail with that right now. We have a whole other session to deal with that. But I want to go to this verse, John 8:44. John 8:44 says, Ye are of your father, the devil. Now, who's talking? Jesus is talking now. He says, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father. The, the word lust means the desire of your father you will do. He was a, what's the word right there? He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, 
He speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. I mean, Jesus doesn't hold back, man. He calls them, your father is the devil. That's strong language. Remember, I've read to you already, Isaiah 9, 15, the ancient honorable, he is the head, and the prophet that teaches lies, he is the tail. Now, 1 John 3, 15 was actually very interesting. It says, whosoever hateth his brother is a, what's it say, my friends? Is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Now, for a moment, I want you to just process. Remember, we, we highlighted that there was violence in the mind of Lucifer. And when I thought of violence, you think of machete. You know, somebody has a machete, you come and chop you. You think of a bazooka, some type of machine gun, AK-47, some, some type of weapon. But this passage actually defines uh, uh, the, the murder mindset is that you hate your brother. Do you hate your brother? I pray you don't. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. But let's go a little bit further. I want you to go with me to the book of Proverbs. Psalms, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 28, I believe. If it's not 28, it's going to be 26. It's 26. Proverbs chapter 26. We're going to start reading at verse 22. Pay close attention. The Bible says the words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Burning lips and wicked heart are like potsherd covered with silver dross. He that hateth dissembleth with his lips and layeth up deceit within him. Now, I'm going to tell you a true story. This really happened to me. One time I was sitting in a church in the back of the church. Like, you know how you have the doors, and then there's these, they have chairs or pews. I'm sitting in the back of the church by the pews before church started. And I'm sitting there, and there are some, you know, church people out in the, in the lobby area. And I hear them talking. And they're talking, and my name comes up. So you know how it is when somebody says your name, and your ears kind of just go, and you're like, Paying attention. Like, who's what y'all saying right now? So I heard them. That brother Waller, he's such a fanatic. I'm like, what? You know, I'm like, my, my, my blood is starting to boil a little bit. Like, y'all going to play me like that? So I'm sitting there, and then I, 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 they come in through the door, and they see me, and they say, oh, brother Waller, it's so nice to see you. Are you just talking about me? It says, it says, don't notice what the text says. It says, when he speaketh, when it says, he that hateth, hateth, dissembleth with his lips. So he's saying one thing, but he's thinking something else. And layeth deceit up in him. When he speaketh fair, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. It says, whose hatred is covered with deceit. His wickedness shall be shown before the congregation. Now, this is actually a promise. Like, that which is done in the dark is actually going to be exposed. And then it says, Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolleth a stone, it shall return upon him. Now, watch verse 28. A lying tongue hateth 
Did y'all hear that? A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Anybody heard somebody say, oh, it's just a white lie? I don't care if it's white, purple, green, red, black. All lies are of the devil. Amen? Amen. And there is never a good time to lie, my friends. If you lie, you hate. And if you hate, you are a murderer. And if you are a murderer, you're of the devil. Are you following what I'm saying? So you don't have to get a machete. You don't have to get a gun or a bazooka. What you, all you have to do is with your mouth and with your mind to say two different things. And you hate and you kill. And my friends, the whole world is having this problem where somebody says something when they're in office but then when, or try to get in office. Then when they get in office, they don't do what they said. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Well, somebody says they make a vow. I'm going to be faithful to my wife. I'm going to be faithful to my husband. And then when they're married, they don't keep that vow. I'm going to be faithful. No, man. See, we got to come to a place, and let's be honest. I am not good. You are not good. We need help in order for us to be good. The only place for goodness, where it comes from, it comes from God. So you can't stop drinking. You can't stop smoking. You can't control your habits of eating. You can't control your ability to control your passions without a supernatural intervention. You must need, you must need Jesus. That's it can't play games with it like for real have you have you ever did this i will never do that again five minutes later i will never go here again then you're like man how did i get here again it's because we've put trust and faith in ourselves trust and faith in our abilities and not trust and faith in god's word i'm going to show you something now before I go, 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 go with me to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. I think that point is clear. Proverbs 14, verse 34. Notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 14, verse 34. What the Bible says here, it says righteousness exalteth a nation. Remember, I told you that's one of our keys. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The secret is righteousness. Go back with me, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 12. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 12. The Bible says, It is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness, for the throne is established by what, my friends? So righteousness is that which what the throne or a kingdom is based. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere with this. Psalms 119. Psalms 119, 172. Watch this, my friends. Psalms 119, 172. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Psalms 119, 172 says, My tongue shall speak of thy word. Why? For all thy commandments are, what's it say, my friends? Righteousness. Watch this. I'm going to show you this. On the screen, it says, God's character is holy, according to Leviticus 11, verse 44. God's law is holy, according to Romans 7, verse 12. God's character is truth, according to Psalms 31, verse 5. God's law is truth, according to Malachi 2, verse 6. 
God's character is righteous, Psalms 145, verse 17. God's law is righteous, Psalms 119, 172. God's character is perfect, Matthew 5, 48. And God's law is perfect, Psalms 19, verse 7. God's character is a spirit, John 4, verse 24. And God's law is a spirit, Romans 7, verse 14. God's character is eternal, 1 Timothy 1, verse 17. God's law is eternal, Psalms 111, verses 7 and 8. God's character is unchangeable, James chapter 1, verse 17. And God's law is unchangeable, Psalms 89, verse 34. God's character is love, 1 John 4, 8. And God's law is based on love, Matthew 22, verse 36 through 40. Now, why am I sharing that with you? Because righteousness is the foundation of God's throne. So righteousness is God's law. Therefore, when the devil tried to take God out, he tried to take God's throne. He tried to change God's laws. Stay with me. You with me? So when the devil's up there and he's doing all his stuff and he's making all these accusations, he's making an accusation against God's character. So what, how do people see God today? All sorts of strange ways. Yeah, there's all sorts of ways how people see God and what God is and what he's not. But few see God as I put it right here on the screen. You do something wrong, some people see God as a vengeful God. You do something wrong, they think, oh, God's going to burn you right away. He's going to send a lightning bolt. So you're driving down the street, you get a flat tire, but like, God's punishing me. I shouldn't have ate that chocolate cake last night. <laughs> I mean, this, this is our mindset. We have this, these ideas about God. But my friends, God is altogether lovely. He's altogether beautiful. He doesn't require us to do anything that he himself will not strengthen you to do. Listen, you cannot be a Christian without Christ. And there are many who want to run up against the law and say, I want to obey the law. And it's almost like running to a mirror and saying, mirror, clean my face. You take the mirror off the wall, you rub it on your face. Does that work? <laughs> That's ridiculous, right? Take the mirror. <laughs> you look back in the mirror, now the mirror looks messed up. No, you can't clean yourself up. You can't fix yourself. God himself says, I will fix you. God himself says, I will write my laws in your heart. You don't have to try to be a Christian. That's not what you're required to do. What you must do is say, Father, take me because I can't do it. I'm stuck. I'm an addict. I'm a liar. I'm a cheater. I'm a no good rotten scoundrel. I don't know how to keep my temper. Father says, I'm so glad you asked me. I will help you. See, the devil's lied so long. God's character has been besmirched for so long. But God is here to change that, my friends. He weakens the nations. And when I say he weakens the nations, my friends, I'm going to pass this. When I say he weakens the nations, we kill our own animals. Two million dead fish appear in Chesapeake Bay, just randomly. Two million dead fish appear. Up to 100,000 fish found dead along Arkansas River. Just 100,000 fish is dead. Uh, a sharp spike in honeybee deaths deepens a wearisome trend. And I'm going to show you something else about that in a second. Fourth case of bird flu found in Nebraska. So all these diseases and pestilences are coming. 52 tons of dead fish are taken from the lagoon in Rio. 52, 52 tons of dead fish just appear. 
These are all dead fish just on the shores. Birds dropping out of the sky. Dolphins and seals just showing up on shore. Antelope, 120,000, galloping along, and then they just drop dead. Shellfish, dead fish in Russia on the shore. Whales being beached in Chile. Bees dying. Now, I, I saw a case recently in March of this year, there was a 500,000 bees died in Brazil. Now, mind you, the bee population dying like that, you're talking about food production being hit. These are all the countries. I mean, there's more countries than this, but um, America, Mexico, Israel, Italy, Belize, Australia, Argentina, all over the world. And this is just for this year. So so far this year, I'm not counting last year, the year before, there's been 175 mass deaths of bees in 36 countries. There's 329 mass deaths for other animals in 64 countries, meaning that the creature, the earth, is just dropping. Now, there's a reason for that. Go to Hosea. Hosea chapter 4. And don't worry, I am going to let you go home tonight. Praise the Lord. Hosea chapter 4. Watch what the Bible says. Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy. Who has a controversy? The Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land because there is no truth, no mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Watch. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committed adultery, they break out and blood touches blood. This is, this, is a, this is the prophet speaking. Because there's no knowledge of God in the land, there's all these things that are transpiring. But watch what else that says. There sh- therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven, Yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. Y'all see that? So I, I, what, we're, what I just showed you is a clear fulfillment that God's character is being besmirched. That people have no knowledge. They don't want, nobody wants truth. I remember I, I was preaching at one place and I said, who wants the truth? Everybody said, they raised their hand. One lady said, hurt my feelings. <laughs> I remember that happened. And then I told the truth. And that whole congregation was mad. Upset. But you just told me you wanted the truth. See, my friends, when truth comes, listen to me. I'm going to be sharing things with you. When the truth comes, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit you. And when it hits you, you're going to have to say, okay, what am I going to do with that? Because Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to do what I say. So everybody's going to say, oh, I love Jesus. It's going to be, in fact, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to prophesy. In this state and all around the country, there's about to be a movement of religious revival. That religious revival will be a false one. And now let me tell you why. Look at what the Bible says. I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but let me show you something. Revelation 13, go with me for a second there. Revelation 13, watch this. I'm just touching it. Watch, I'm giving you something ahead of time. I'm just touching it. I'm not going in detail. Watch what it says in Revelation chapter 13. And look at verse 11. 
It says, and I beheld another beast come up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake how, my friends, like a dragon. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him, and caused the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had a wound by the sword and did live, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image should both speak and cause that as many as would not wish that the image of the beast should be killed. Now, my friends, you'll see fire comes down from heaven. Now, fire coming down from heaven in the, in the Bible, you remember Elijah the prophet? When, when Elijah the prophet, fire came down from heaven, there was a religious revival. So this passage is talking about a religious revival that will cause everybody to say, let's come together. And my friends, when that happens, unless you are in strict connection with God, you're going to be deceived. Listen to me. This book right here should not simply be a book that you pick up from time to time. This book right here should go with you to the bathroom. Y'all not hear what I'm saying. This book right here, when you walk into the grocery store, you, we have these devices now, iPads, iPhones, Androids, whatever, whatnot. You put a little bud in your ear. You can be listening to the word of God as you walk in the store. You don't have to be jigging with whatever they got going on in the store. The word of God needs to become a part of us. We need to be sanctified by that word, and it must be constant, my friend. The temptation, I'm so happy you're here tonight. This is Saturday night. I mean, you could be doing anything, but you're here. And I say, praise God that you're here. And we need to be more in tune with God on a daily basis, opening his word, praying, studying. Father, please change me from the inside out. Amen. And the more, he, more we do this, my friends, the more he changes us. I'm telling you, I, I'm not making this up. This is not a theory to me. So we're told these things are happening. The question is, what side do you want to be on? Tonight, my, my friends are going to hand this out. I don't know who has them, but some of my friends are going to hand this out. And as they hand this out, you're going to answer a couple of questions. And it's a simple question. There are simple questions, simple answers. Just hand them out to everyone. Everyone gets one. The first question is, I understand from the Bible that there is a war over my soul. How many understood that tonight? You understood there's a war over your soul tonight? Can I see your hand if you understood that? Yeah, there's a war over your soul. So you want to check that off straight away. Uh, the second one says, I desire to accept Jesus as my Savior and Lord for the first time. For the first time. Now, if you already accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's perfectly fine. Don't check that one. But if you're accepting Jesus Christ tonight as your Lord and Savior for the first time, you want to check that box. The third one says, I have drifted I, have, I, accept Jesus, I have accepted Jesus in the past, but I've drifted away. And tonight, I want to recommit my life to Jesus. If that's you, I want you to check that box. And number four says, I have already accepted Jesus as my Savior, and I now recommit my life to him. If that's you, check that box. And if you would like to talk to me or any other preacher or teacher of the Word of God, 
check the last one. Now, my friend is going to sing, and as she sings, prayerfully consider your choice. Prayerfully consider your choice. friends I, I put on the screen you see this picture and this picture on this side was done by an artist rendering in regards to Babylon that was back in the 1700s 1600s around that time this picture right here was done by the European Union and I thought to myself when I found this picture why would this organization choose to mimic this picture and say these words? Europe, many tongues, one voice. Now you remember, if you know anything about Tara Babel, when, when God came down, he didn't like what they were doing, so he confused their language. Y'all not hear what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? He confused their language. And so this arrogant power says, well, we don't care what God said. Many tongues, one voice. The spirit of rebellion is present today. 
And my friends, I'm telling you, there is so much more I want to share with you. Tomorrow night, we're going to start exactly on time. And I'm going to let you out by 8 o'clock tomorrow. I promise. I want you to make sure that you're here on time. I want to make sure you get your gifts. And I want you to bring your friends. Because tomorrow night, we're talking about Darwin's greatest fear. You don't want to miss that. In fact, I'm going to tell you how, how exciting that sermon is. I've never preached it before. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, now, I'm, you don't understand. When it comes out the first time, it's usually the best time. You don't want to miss tomorrow night. And then next week, Thursday, because after Sunday, there's no meeting Monday, no meeting Tuesday, no meeting Wednesday. But Thursday night, we meet on Thursday, and then we meet on Friday like we did this past week. If you find that this has been a blessing to you, bring somebody. I promise I won't eat them. <laughs> we'll love them up. And that Jesus that you've decided on tonight will be available for them. And listen, when you work out on a regular basis, you get stronger. Amen. The more you work out, the stronger you get. Don't miss a night. Every night you come, you're going to go higher. Every night we study, you're going to get a deeper understanding. Keep coming, my friends. I promise you, by the time we're done, you will learn something that you have never, ever seen before. And Jesus will present himself in such a manner that if you're willing, if you're willing, he will save you. Is that all right? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for being with us this evening. There is a war in heaven that has found its way here on earth. And Father, we want to thank you and praise you for the victory that we have in Jesus. And Father, tonight I do want to say a special prayer over any person that may be struggling with anything that the devil is just holding on to them, Father. And tonight, if in their hearts they desire to be free, I pray just like the demoniac that lifted his hand to say he wanted to be free, but only demons spoke, Father. I pray that you release them tonight, Lord. I pray, Father, that you send angels that excel in strength to push back the demons of darkness that will hold them, Father. And I pray, Lord, for the peace that passes all understanding to rest upon our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name, and we claim the merits of his blood. Amen. Amen. Good night, my friends.